Mahalo for lover and welcome to Pasapi Kawaii. In this episode of our podcast, we are very uh, we are very privileged and also honoured to be speaking to the Director of Climate Change Resilience with SPREP, the Secretariat for Pacific Regional Environment Programme based in Samoa. It's been a, a very busy two weeks at COP26 in Glasgow, Scotland. Intense negotiations took place with leaders from around the world, uh, representatives of, from NGOs, from faith-based organisations, scientists, uh, environmental experts, and our very own Pacific Voice was there at the heart of this summit. We're very fortunate uh, to have with us uh, Tangaloa Cooper, who was there in the thick of it in Glasgow, and she joins us here uh, this afternoon. We say very uh, good afternoon. So great to be talking to you. It's lovely to, to be closer to home um, after, you know, so it, what felt like forever away. But it's lovely to talk to you, a friendly face as well. Malo, and it's it, like I said, good to talk to you. And of course, uh, you, you're recovering. You're able to have had a bit of a rest, a bit of downtime after those intensive two weeks. No, no. Um, it seems like it never ends. But also, I'm on Glasgow time, so I wake up at one in the morning until now, and then I'll crash uh, in the afternoon and wake up at one again. So, just taking a bit of time um, to to come right and get into the, you know, the body clock back in sync with this part of the world. But uh, it's still a lot of work to do and doing that remotely. So I'm in MIQ at the moment, Gladys. Right. Um, in a, and it's nice to, you know, <laughs> some people think of it as being in, you know, uh, de uh, deprived being in a prison, but it's lovely to be on my own with my own thoughts. And, and then I catch up with work and catch up with all the meetings that I have outstanding. But it's really good to be in Aotearoa and one step away from home. Absolutely. And like you said, you're able to have a bit of downtime about uh, what would have been an extremely uh, busy, yeah. intensive yeah. time in Glasgow. Um, with COP26, there's been a lot of commentary made about uh, mm -hmm some of the outcomes that uh, were down to the wire, in particular with uh, uh, the adaptation of language uh, to do with yeah. the, um, the agreements. So for you, your observations and take on COP26. Yeah, thank you very much, Gladys. Yes, a lot has been said. Uh, a lot has been said about how it was, I'll start first with, the view that it was a failure. Mm. And I, I have to disagree with that uh, because there was movement on things that the Pacific prioritised that, that happened. At the end of the day, and at the end of the day, and in the very last moments, it could have been a very different outcome had India not pressed for the text to be revisited. In the, in, in the negotiations, down to the wire, people were tired, people yeah. hadn't really rested. It was 
starting to hum. You know, people, their vibe was really positive. People were really positive. Um, and then what it came down to was, and I think what people, some people have been calling it a failure, came really down to the words uh, agreement to phase down coal mm. instead of agreement to phase out. And in the end, that was what people held on to that felt that it was a complete failure. Um, and yet it cannot be viewed, in my view, it can't be viewed as a complete failure. Um, this is the nature of negotiations. We, if that had not happened, we would have come away with Glasgow um, being a great success, uh, similar to the success that was in Paris, where you had high ambition countries come together and, and, and lobby for higher ambition. So... On a positive note, though, we now come away from Glasgow knowing that countries now agree to revisit and strengthen their ambitions. Before, it was every five years, and now they have to really look and revisit their pledges by the end of 2020 now, and that's a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's better than waiting five years. And so that shows that there is a, a intention or a willingness by political leaders to ratchet ambition by simply revisiting the NDCs more regularly than the five years that was agreed to in, in Paris. So you can't, cannot call that a failure. There were, uh, the, there were success around climate finance, which was a priority for the Pacific, because the Pacific also... The general view of the Pacific was that, yes, the Green Climate Fund and, uh, and such was set up to channel the funding commitments by the developed countries in order for, for them to then on, you know, move funding into countries, to developing countries to, uh, to utilise for adaptation and mitigation. And the Pacifics, in the Pacific voice is that that may be so, and you may, there is an increased um, ambition to meet the $100 billion target for adaptation by countries. But the Pacific's view is also, you can't just walk away. You can't just put your money there and walk away. You also need to make sure that it works for small island and developing states like the Pacific. And at the moment, it is difficult. We are finding that there are massive delays in accessing this funding that was designed to benefit developing countries like ours. The delays, massive delays, the hoops that countries have had to jump through in order to access the funding. And you've got probably 20 plus people reviewing and commenting right. on a proposal that goes back to a small country that's got two people at best dedicated to working on it, you know? So that's a big point of contention for, for the Pacific. So that was a, a, a plus that there is, um, you know, that, that it did come out loud and clear that there had to be changes 
to the big funding modalities to ensure that the money worked for the beneficiaries it was intended to. Um, on, on um, I think we're heading in the right direction, even though despite that language, and there was so much disappointment in the room, like it, yeah. you just felt heavy that that happened in the very last hour when everybody was making compromises to, to get an agreed text. Um, and, but so on adaptation as well, I, I, there was agreement to double the commitment uh, on adaptation within that 100 billion uh, annual target, annual target for 2021 to 2025. And this is welcomed by the Pacific. It's needed, it was urgent, and it happened. I mean, it was, it was agreed. On the uh, lost in finance, a loss and damage, that was a bit of a disappointment for our countries because there was efforts, not just within peace, it's because remember the Pacific Small Island Development States, there's only 14 parties to this convention, 14 countries. And they are the peace, it's the Pacific Small Island Development States. They also negotiate within a bigger group called AOSIS, the Alliance, Alliance of Small Island States. So you have the Caribbean countries, Indian Ocean countries, and Pacific countries in that. So it's a larger group. And the way it happens is you can speak for your country, but where you articulate a position on a priority that represents AOSIS, they need a heavier, bigger voice, you know, stronger um, uh, grouping. So there's several different groupings. So we we come under the AOSA. So we align ourselves generally to a joint position and priorities because we're similar in nature, you know, uh, yeah. in nature, you know, we're developing states, we're island states as well. Um, so that was disappointing because countries, our countries wanted dedicated finance. At the moment, dedicated finance is for adaptation and mitigation, but nothing for loss and damage. Loss and damage. Yeah. And so it was watered down. Language continued to be watered down. And in the end, it was globally agreed that there would be a dialogue. For some people, they view that as a step forward because it was never really, it was always pushed down, you know, kicked down the road. So some people view that as progress. So there's going to be a conversation as a good first step. But the more cynical, well, you know, the more cynical view mm. is that it's a delaying tactic uh, or another process, another process to delay action, which means maybe down the line we'll talk about it again. Yep. Yeah, so, um, but at least we know on the Paris rule book, which was agreed to in Paris, uh, on Article 6, which is around markets, was finalised. But there are a mixed bag of wins and losses for us, for Pacific SIDS, but, you know, by and large, there were good things that came out of this for us. There was a 
uh, I think there was a lot more discussion around oceans. So for it to be embedded into this process, because us as ocean people, like all of the alliance of small island states, can't talk about climate change and not talk about our ocean yeah. uh, mm. and our de dependency on it, etc. And the COP president, the UK's pro-ocean and climate change nexus. I mean, in the end, you know, you could tell that he was himself was disappointed. Yeah. Um, in, in, in the end, and just so frustrating for some of us because it would have been a beautiful ending had that not had that language not been changed because it would have shown global ambition that we will phase out coal. And now the view is okay, well, it's something, we'll phase it down. So people have to actively look at doing that, not just talk about it. Yeah. But even I guess the, the, the protection around that is that they will revisit their NDCs so that they have to say, countries have to say how we are going to reduce global um, climate, uh, greenhouse, sorry, greenhouse emissions. I'm still a bit tired. This is my bedtime now in Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I think it was a mixed bag. Do you know what else, Gladys? The Pacific came hard. Mm. and strong on their call for 1.5 and there was a partnership with New Zealand around TikTok there was a TikTok campaign there was a flex for 1.5 and by the end of that conference you saw world yeah, leaders doing everyone that. was doing it yeah I saw and that. that was because that was the Pacific that brought that mm. to the halls of that conference so everybody was doing that, and it was something just it boosted morale, you know. Yeah. You know when you see John Kerry doing that <laughs> and the Prime Minister of the UK doing that, but these are also countries that are very supportive of higher ambition. Um, and then, you know, there was because not many countries could not many negotiators could go from the Pacific because yeah. of passage out the requirements, because there's only repack flights right now, there were some countries that had no flights out. So some of our countries had to, comp uh, what's the word, not compromise, uh, be creative or work with what they could. So for example, Niue's delegation didn't leave Niue or they didn't attend the COP in person. So they appointed a special envoy who was based in London, who was a son of Niwe. Right. And um, and he went, we had an we had one of our staff who was accredited to his delegation because he needed the, the support and did very well. There were some of our delegations who only sent two very small groups. So we had to work harder around making the right noise in the right place, mm -hmm. raising the profile and amplifying the voice of the Pacific. So we had side events 
Um, we had the two campaigns, Eric Art storytelling campaign. We also had with Storybox New Zealand, and we also had the campaign for the Flex for 1.5 on TikTok that had about 20 million views. Oh. Um, nice. We worked with the Tong and Rugby team that was in Scotland. That's right. The 1.5 and I didn't realize, but they were pretty big deal okay. in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> our uh, our Tongan rugby boys. So we're just really grateful that everybody was doing their bit. Mm. And then we got a whole flood of people in the Pacific doing the 1.5. So the Pacific mm. made an impact. Yeah. Small in numbers, but you know, Pacific Islanders know how mm. to raise their voice and be heard, stand out. So you saw people with says throughout the conference. Um, And then we also had a opportunity, which was a high level event that was chaired by the Prime Minister of Samoa to meet with the UK COP president. And it was uh, on Monday morning and really, it was because they were very aware that not many people from the Pacific were able to be there. Yeah. So they wanted to have that conversation with capitals. So there was quite a bit going on for the Pacific. And then, of course, we had a Pacific space called the Moana Blue Pacific space, which was an office right. for bilaterals and an office for Pacific countries to work. And it was very busy. Um, and at the end, when there was some difficulty and some stalemate in, in, in the discussions, some of our lead negotiators would have smaller meetings there with members of AOSIS or other countries um, because it was their space, it was their office, their space away from home. And I, you know, so right, Gladys, uh, we have, have a knack drawing attention to ourselves i think it's in our dna (laughs) and it was beautiful to see and you know one of our last side events it taught me a lesson actually because i'm so involved in my work in serving governments that you forget the place of young people yeah or you, or you just take for granted that they're going to find a space, you know? And we gave the 350 Org an opportunity to utilize one of our side event spaces. And they were fantastic. They, you know, it kind of grounds you. It, it, you know, it's ground truthing. When you, when you hear young people speak and and in a very real way. And then what they did, you know, because Pacific Islanders, like you say, know how to draw attention to themselves. At the end of the event, they had a string of flags, Pacific flags. And they just walked through the whole hall of the negotiations. End end. And everybody came out to see them. And then all whoever the Pacific and other people who were not Pacific Islanders just joined them in following the flags of the Pacific. It was just those small personal touches that 
um, that, you know, that makes, that unites people, right? Yeah. Around the course. Mm. And you saw in the end that um, negotiators were tired because they'd just been working really, really long hours. Yeah. But and you, you spoke about that. I um, do know about being a Pacific Islander. Yeah. Is that they're resilient. And they will just go right to the end because our futures depend on, on it. And so they take very seriously the responsibility given to them. Mm. You know, mm. that whole um, to whom much is given, much is expected. And you talked about um, the presence of the Pacific Youth at COP26, just uh, the voices that they were able to bring to it, the conversation. Uh, for you, would one of the highlights have been seeing the Pacific Youth right there at the heart of COP26? Um, they, they had such a graceful way. There was just watching them as they were advocating, you know, speaking for our lands, for our Pacific, our blue ocean. That must have been heartening to see. It was lovely to see. And you know what's um, quite empowering is that knowing that when they're, they're already negotiators now, but yeah. knowing that when they take their place at the table, when these negotiators move on, their training ground has been the actual cop. Yeah. Yeah. Quite different to my time where, you know, at that age, we didn't have that access and that kind of platform. Yeah. So these young people have to be involved now. It's good to see that because when it's time for them to take over and be moved into these spaces, they will just be, you know, just phenomenal, I think, in my view. And you see it now. They're already really inspirational, you know, inspiring. And, Law, the work doesn't just stop now that COP26 is finished. The work continues. You've got another round of climate talks in 2022 in Egypt. But the work continues. So where to from here? Um, okay, so... Other work does have to continue because we have to start preparing by about May for the next COP. But before May, because May is the intercessionals, the pre-sessions, but before May, early next year, we have to do the um, post-COP analysis, unpack it all. Yeah. What does it mean for the Pacific? Yeah. Where to from here? And so we work with all the countries on that analysis. In the end, we're guided by our country's priorities. Our job is PREP, is to support them. Because our voice, we don't have a voice in the actual negotiation. So we're guided by them. The current chair of the Pacific group is Samoa. Um, so I think and, and, and also, currently, Samoa has a seat on the board of the UNFCCC. So it 
should make things easier that we will be working with our capital in Samoa, but they're also very supportive of the work. And the former chair was Fiji and also a really great leader in this space. So a lot of work has to be done in the lead up to Egypt. And um, hopefully, I would like to hope that we've learned as we've come along the way and we've learned from our mistakes so that we can get better and serve our countries better so that they can do what they have to do when they are here at the negotiations. And hopefully more of our negotiators can be in Egypt. Hopefully, you know, COVID, we have found a way to live with COVID-19 mm. and it's not so difficult because I'll tell you what, this was not a normal COP. No. It, in fact, people question the equitable, you know, like the, 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 whether or not it was an equitable COP because of the social distancing, you had limitations on how many people could be in the room. Yeah. So if you're not in the room, how can you even have a voice? In a COP, at a time where social distancing is expected on the first two days, we were in the line trying to get in neck and neck, you know, shoulder to shoulder. No social distancing. Really like this, moving like this. Um, everybody wearing masks. You're not supposed, you couldn't get in without a negative result. Or you had to do lateral flow test every morning. And then you'd get the results sent to you by text. They wouldn't be allowed into the venue without it. But people got COVID after the COP. Hopefully not. I hope, well, I haven't heard if it was a massive, you know, massive um, large spreader, but we were so, we had to be very careful. Um, and it's very difficult to do that in a place where you've got 35,000 humans. Time mm. of it's been a, a long, um, like you said, a lot of late nights uh, negotiating on the ground at COP26 in Glasgow. You're heading back home to the Pacific. Mm. To those who are listening and think, ah, climate change, it's natural, it, it is what it is. What would you say to them? What would you say to someone who's listening to this now to take it seriously? What I would say is, Climate change is your responsibility, just as it is mine. And it affects everybody, everybody on this planet, because we are a global family. The Pacific takes it seriously because our lives depend on how the global family, how seriously everybody else takes this. So my message is, is that just as much as it is my responsibility, it's you, the listener, it's your responsibility as well um, to understand the impacts of climate change, to utilize your voice in any space and opportunity that you have to advocate for greater ambition, for unity around these issues. And if in particular, if you are a Pacific person you owe it to yourself because 
you cannot separate being a Pacific Island person in this country from your roots in the countries that we come from because everybody's connected back to the home ground. And, um, and I think if everyone takes that responsibility towards climate change as a collective, then our voices are stronger. And you know, the Pacific, we, we see ourselves as one voice, not voices. So many voices makes that one big voice. And that is who we are. Thanks for listening. Visit our website at www.pacificawire.com. We welcome you to like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to the full podcast on Spotify. But for today, my ear manuia.